Today we are in week two of a series called Seasons. We all go through seasons of life. And if you're sitting here today, you're in a season. It may feel like a really good season or it may feel like a, just an okay season. It may be a season of life where there's pain involved. But where, whatever the case is, you are in a season of life. God moves in our life and he moves us through and grows us in seasons. And today in week two, we're going to be talking about what it means and what we can do when we're in a season of loneliness. A season of loneliness hurts. A season of loneliness, there's lots of things that kind of maybe begin that season, lots of things in our life that are kind of wrapped around that. We're going to talk about some of them today. But here's a fact I want to give you right off the bat before we talk about a season of loneliness. And here's the fact. We were not created to be alone. I want us to say that together because I think a lot of us, we really just need to get that in our hearts right now. So we're going to say this together. Ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. We were not created to be alone. Good. That was like a third of you, which is took fine, but we, were, we want to get more involved here because I want, I want it to really go into your heart. You ready? One, two, three. We were not created to be alone. We weren't. That's just a fact. So if you're in a season of loneliness right now, you got to understand that you're not meant to be here forever. And God didn't create you ultimately to be alone. And we find this in the creation story way back in Genesis. Most of you are familiar with it or have at least heard about it. But every day, God created. Remember, he created for six days. Seventh day, he rested. But he created every day. And at the end of every day, if you go back and look, what does God say? Do you remember? He said, this is good. Every day, he took a moment to look at his creation, and he said, this is good. And it was only after creating mankind did he say this in Genesis 2. He looked at man. He said, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, you may come up with a million different reasons why you think it's not good for a man to be alone. But he was saying mankind it is not good for man to be alone. So you need to understand this. God was with Adam. Adam was with God. They had this relationship. But God didn't just create us for himself. So what did he do? He made another human being, Eve, to be in relationship with him. And this is a fundamental wiring that we have since before the beginning of what we call time to have a need for other people. We were not made to be alone. You were not created to be alone. You're the most fulfilled in life, not only when you're in a relationship with God, but when you're in a relationship with other people, with other people in your life, friends, family, others. And for some of you, that sounds wonderful. For some of you, you just, you, just, you just thrive off of being in relationship and being close to people. For others of you, that sounds awful, <laughs> if I'm just being honest. For, for some of you, you know, having people close to you, it fills this deep need to share life. And for others of you, you couldn't care less if you had to talk to another person, ever. <laughs> you, just, you just don't care. But you have to understand, both of these are extremes, okay? They're, and they're emotions, it's not the deepest part of you that's being fulfilled one way or another. It is extreme emotions. And what do we know about emotions? Well, they can be misleading, and they can lead us to do some unhealthy things. Let me give you an example. Have you ever had someone in your life that's a little bit too needy? Come on, let's just lighten up here a minute. You know, If you don't know anybody, it's probably you. I'm just going to go ahead and say that right now. But we all kind of know these people. There's, just, there's this need. They, they don't have boundaries in their life. It doesn't seem to affect them. Um, they need people to be around them all the time to validate their self-worth, and it comes in some very unhealthy ways. 
It's an emotional state. That is not a need for healthy relationship. And on the flip side of that, how many people do you know that you just wish would come out of the cave and the shell that they live in and would just do something? You know what I'm talking about? This, the, the person that just, they don't care whether they ever talk to another person again. Um, they, they, I'm not talking about an introvert. You need to understand that. That's, that's a personality trait. I'm talking about the person that says, I don't need anyone. I don't care about anybody, and it really doesn't matter to me if I ever have a close relationship. Both of those are unhealthy emotions, and it goes against the way that God created us to be, the way he truly made us to be in healthy relationship and be fulfilled. You were not created to be alone, and that's one of the many reasons that when God looked at Adam alone without Eve, he said, this isn't good. It's not good. And if God is saying that, then we, we probably need to pay attention, don't you think? Now, if we're not created to be alone, then why do we go through seasons of loneliness? Why is that? Sometimes there are circumstances in life that create this gap between us and fulfillment and relationships. But in this life, we're going to have trouble. In fact, Jesus said it like this. In this life, you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. He says, I've already overcome all your trouble. He didn't say we wouldn't have it. He said that he would be with us and he would help us to overcome it through him. So why do we go through seasons of loneliness? There, there are many reasons. I'm just going to name a few pretty quick here. But change in your life is one reason for loneliness. It, typically, uh, th these reasons, they, they happen and then jump starts a season of loneliness. Change is one of them. Maybe you've come to the end of one season and you've kind of going into another season of life, whatever that looks like for you. And there are people in the previous season that they didn't make it to the next one. Do you know what I'm talking about? You get done with one season and, and the people that were behind you in one season, they, they didn't grow into the next one with you. I talked to a guy this week who desperately needed a change from a life of drugs that he had been in. But in order for that to happen, he said, I had to abandon old friends. And guess what? That means for a time, he's alone. This church has been through a lot of change, wouldn't you say? In the last year, um, Pastor Jeremy has gone. And then Pastor Jim was here. And then Pastor Joey was here for a while. And then you had several fill-ins kind of coming in. And now me. What's up with that? And I, I was talking to our leadership team last week. Uh, on one of the evenings last week, and, and I said, you know what? I said, you guys have done awesome with all this change. And, and this church, I just want to commend you. I'm blown away by how so many of you are here. You're hungry for God despite the change. I've, I've known churches that have gone through less change in the course of five years and completely dissolved because of what the change does to the church. And, and I looked around at that leadership circle, and I'm looking around at you guys today, and I'm like, I'm blown away by the hunger you have for God, by the hunger you have to know that God is still here, that God is with us, and that he's got great things in store, not only for this church corporately, but for you, for your individual life. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt, when you have God's ability and you have the willingness of human beings, of people just like you and just like me, and you put those two things together, God empowers what we do, and he does great things for us through him and for his glory. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt, even though there's been change in this church over the last year, and I mean a lot of it, I believe without a shadow of a doubt, God is going to do something really awesome in your life, and he's going to do something really great in the life of this church. And I, I, for one, am glad to be a part of it. And I'm proud of you. I don't know all of you yet, but I'm so blown away by how you've handled the change 
in this church in the last year. And I'm very excited to be a part of that. Separation is another thing that happens just before a season of loneliness. Um, this could be an untimely death in your family, or it could be trouble in your marriage or your family. Um, and all of a sudden, th there's a place that somebody was, and now all of a sudden they're not. And there's an empty place there, and, and you, you begin to feel alone. Um, maybe somebody in your life moved away, and there was a separation there. Or maybe, maybe you've moved away. Um, my sister is born and, was born and raised right here in Goldsboro, and she met an Air Force man. And all you military wives know where I'm going with this. And they went to California. Then they went to Missouri. And this guy is one of the greatest guys I've ever known. I wouldn't choose anybody else for my sister if I had a say in it, which I don't. Um, but he's just a great guy. But she knows what it's like to have that separation in life and, and kind of have a season of loneliness kind of ensue. And maybe you do too. Um, opposition in your life. That's, that's another one that comes up. Whenever somebody opposes us in life, whether it be a coworker or whether it be somebody we don't know, there's always a sense of isolation that happens. Maybe they're attacking you for something or maybe for, for no reason whatsoever or for a reason, I don't know, but they, they begin to come against you. They oppose you, and there's always this sense of isolation that's associated with it. Um, it's, it's one of the times in life when we feel opposition that we have this need to gather people around us that will uphold us, that will maybe uphold justice or maybe take our side of things. You know what I mean? Um, I do counseling sometimes with couples, and without a shadow of a doubt, um, typically 95% of the time, I'll say that, I'm always listening to one of the two, either the husband or the wife, um, kind of explain their side of things, and before it's over with, they're always trying to get me to take their side. No ribbing. Do not do this in, in church. I, but they always try to get me to take their side. And I think to myself, you don't even know me that well, you know? Why, why would you want my opinion to kind of come in and override the relationship here? Um, but the, the fact is, is that whenever we feel opposition in life, even the closest people to us, there's a void. There's this, there's this empty sense in our life, and we feel the need to get people around us to fill that void, to fill that loneliness, and take our side. And some of that's just normal, and some of that's healthy, but that's not what's going to fix the season of loneliness for you. Maybe there's been rejection in your life. That's, that's the last one I'm going to talk about. Did you know that we were made to be loved and to love others? That's, that's primary. That's like a fundamental need in your life. And when one or both of those isn't being met, loneliness is associated with it. I, I've talked with extremely wealthy people. I mean people that I've been cl close enough with some of these folks that have more in their life than probably all of us would ever have in a lifetime. And you know what they say? They said they would give it all up to have somebody in their life that would love them and have a meaningful relationship with them. To not feel the sting of rejection in some, some of the stories that I've heard in their lives. Stuff does not fill the void. It doesn't. It doesn't matter how much you have. It doesn't matter how much you go after. It, it's not going to fill and completely satisfy the sense of loneliness in your life if that's the season that you're in. It just will not do it. And so these life circumstances, change and separation and opposition and rejection, they can cause a season of loneliness. Now I want to come back to the question again. If we're not created to live alone, then why am I in a season of loneliness? Why do I have to go through these things? If God didn't create me to be alone, then why? Because that's really what we want to know, right? And especially some of those of, uh, uh, in here that are, are going through the season of loneliness. Okay, we understand the why or the, the why maybe some of it began, but, but if I'm not created to be alone, then why? Here's what you need to know. We weren't made to live alone, 
But that doesn't mean God can't use a season where he's all we have to draw us nearer to him. And I'm just going to say that again so you can digest it. We weren't made to live alone, but that does not mean that God can't use a season where he's all you have to draw you nearer to him. And there's so many examples in the Bible of God doing this. How many of you remember a guy named Abraham? Remember Father Abraham had many sons? Remember when you do this and you get dizzy and you, you fall on the floor when you're a kid and sing that in, in, in church? Um, if you've never had the privilege of knowing that song, you've got to go home and Google that. Father Abraham, okay? I'm halfway kidding, but let's keep going here. Abraham. Abraham experienced change in his life. Way, way back in the Old Testament, God took him from his homeland and he said, I want you to go to this place that I'm not going to tell you about yet. I just want you to go. Talk about confusing. He did it. He went. Massive change in Abraham's life. But what did Abraham do? Through the process, he drew near to God. And God ended up taking him and birthing the entire nation of Israel out of him. Then there was, was Joseph. Several generations later, Joseph was a man who experienced great opposition and separation. Sold as a slave by his own brothers. He ended up in Egypt, wrongfully accused while he was in Egypt. He ended up in prison. Talk about rejection. Talk about separation. Talk about opposition. What did he do? I'm sure there was lots of feelings involved, but he drew near to God. He said, I'm going to take this season and draw near to God. And by the time it was all over with, he was second in command of all of Egypt. And God used him to save the nation of Israel during a severe famine. David, he was a boy whenever God anointed him to be king of Israel. In the Bible, we read this story, and he, he faced severe opposition from this jealous king, his predecessor, that was trying to kill him because he was just completely jealous of him, trying to take his life. And David spent many, many nights in caves and running for his life and, and asking questions, but he drew near to God, and God made him one of the most powerful, one of the most memorable kings that, he, that Israel has ever had. God even said, this is a man after my own heart. That was David. Even Jesus himself, he faced separation from heaven to come down here to earth. He, he faced constant change while he was here. He faced opposition and rejection from mankind. But he drew near to his heavenly father. And by the time it was all over with, God used him to save us all from our sins. They all took this season of loneliness in their life. And despite the pain, despite the loneliness, despite everything they had to go through, they used it as a time to draw near to God. And when the season was over, they were deeper and they were richer in relationship with God and more blessed. So I just want to tell you, if you're in a season where you feel alone, you need to know this season is not going to last forever because God didn't make you to live alone, but he wants to use this time, use this season of loneliness to deepen your relationship with him. So by the time it's all over with, you're, you're not just have gotten through the season. You haven't just survived it, but you're a better person. You're stronger. You're, you're more capable. You're able to handle things better. When people look at you when the season is over, you want them to be able to look at you and say, wow, that's not the same gal. That's not the same guy. There's something different. Wow, you, you're stronger than you were before. How many of you just would love to get to the end of a year and go, you know what? I'm pretty much the same person I was a year ago. No, we want to get to the end of a year and go, man, I've grown so much in this last year. I'm not the person that I once was. And it doesn't matter what season you're in, specifically the season of loneliness in context for today, God wants to use this season and grow you. He wants to deepen your relationship with him. But if we're not careful, we'll, we'll get in this season and we will look to things that leave us empty. 
And what we're calling these things empty cures. Say empty cures. Empty cures. And after the initial feeling wears off and going after these things, guess what? We're empty. We're back to square one. And there, there's a few of them I'm going to list here. But some of us throw ourselves into work. We become workaholics. And, and we try to just void the pain. We try to dampen the pain by keeping ourselves busy at work. And what, what ends up happening is we, we throw ourselves into the job. We, we stay busy. We become completely exhausted all the while, ignoring the season that we're in, ignoring the hurt that we're in, and we never grow an inch. Sometimes we, we get into materialism. That's another empty cure. I'm just going to go out and get stuff. I'm going to buy my happiness. And some of us can't do that. Some of us can. Some of you are blessed enough. You're affluent enough to be able to go out and buy things. But guess what? Just like I, I told you, the wealthy folks said it. That, that doesn't fill you up. It gets you excited emotionally for a little bit, but it always ends up being about the next purchase, about the next thing. And eventually that feeling wears off, and then guess what? you got to go out and buy something else. And there's this fix off of, off of clipping off the price tags, clipping off the, the, the tags of whatever it is that we have. It, it could be a boat or it could be a T-shirt. It doesn't matter. I just have to buy happiness for the moment. It's empty cure. It's not going to fill you up. Sometimes people will go after pleasure. Any experience that they can go after to, to satisfy their need for, for pleasure in their life, and they get lost in the moment. And so life becomes this series of one-night stands, and they didn't mean for it to. It just kind of started, and before it's over with, they've got, this, they've got this history lined up of shame and guilt, and they're not proud of it at all, and they're still sitting there empty. Why? Because these empty cures always bring you back to square one, emptiness and loneliness. Sometimes people actually get into a, a place where they're going after anti-pleasure. One of the biggest trends in teens, you may have heard of it, but they begin cutting themselves, and they begin burning themselves. And somehow the pain is so bad, but it's the only thing that begins to drown out the emotional pain they feel is physical pain. I was actually talking to somebody last week uh, before the service, and they, they told me, they said, I used to be in this. I used to do this stuff. But God healed me of it. I, I decided I wanted to do it God's way, and now I'm able to take the pain that I went through and that I grew out of and that God helped me with, and I'm able to look at somebody else that's going through the exact same thing, and I'm able to speak to them and say, God loves you. How awesome is that? Others, another empty cure, people get in this, this thought life of pleasure, and they, they have these fantasy relationships, and they don't really call it that because that just sounds weird. But they'll look at a computer screen with pornography on it, and somehow that seems to satisfy for a moment. Or maybe they get lost in Hollywood relationships, or they get lost in things like, uh, I'm not picking on it, but things like The Bachelor. And it just, it, that just seems so good and so perfect, and, and, and you know, that's, that's the relationship I want. But guess what? Both of these, whether it be pornography or some Hollywood relationship, all you're really doing is dreaming about a relationship that you don't have. And it's going to leave you empty. And what we're really saying when we begin to choose these things, what we're really saying is I'm choosing these things over God who desperately is trying to get my attention, who's desperately trying to have a relationship with me, who's desperately trying to get me to take a next step in him because he knows what my next step is and he knows the things that are going to take me forward and move me forward and eventually out of this pain and out of the season that I'm in. But I can't see how God's doing that. I can't feel how God's doing that. So what I want to do is I want to go after the things that make me feel better now. God says, if you just hold on, if you'll just believe me, if you'll just wait, 
if you'll just put your trust in me. Because guess what? Being a Christian is about having faith, isn't it? It's about seeing uh, something that you don't see with your, with your natural eyes. You see it way down deep in your spirit because God said it. And I say, I'm, I see it somewhere out there. It's fuzzy. I can't really grasp it. But I choose to trust you, God. And eventually I know that you're going to pull me through. Eventually I know I'm going to be able to look back and say, man, I've grown so much. Man, I don't hurt like I used to. The pain doesn't define me like it used to. But we got to stop going after the stuff that leaves us empty. we got to start with, with square one and say, God, I choose, I choose you. They're always going to leave you empty. They're always going to make you happy for a while, but they always bring you back empty. So if those are the empty cures, and we've all gotten thoroughly depressed, right? (laughs) If those are the empty cures, then what are the real ones? What are the real cures? What are the things that fill us up? And we're going to talk about some of those. Um, To kind of set this up, and this is where we're going to kind of camp out for the rest of our time together. There's a story in the New Testament of a guy named Paul. Maybe you've heard of Paul. Um, he's, he's pretty popular in the New Testament. Check him out. He's a really cool guy. But he went through a severe, a severe uh, lonely time. He went through a severe time of loneliness in his life. And he gives us the answer to that question, what are the real cures, by, by reading a story. Now, a little background on Paul. He had rough beginnings, but he devoted his life to Jesus, and he devoted his life to telling others about him. He planted so many churches across so many regions that we read about in the Bible. And if that wasn't enough, he didn't just plant them. He did his best to write to them, to encourage them, to kind of keep them going, to send them people whenever he wasn't able to go. And he did this despite being tortured, despite being beaten, despite doing, having all this opposition against him. Because you know, today, it was the same as it was back then. Jesus was a very controversial subject. And back then, in that time, and in that um, kind of place in the world, it was considered blasphemy. And so they punished him for it. One time they even stoned him. And if you don't know what that is, they took these huge rocks, probably that big, and what they would do is they would take them and they would, they would kind of hold you down or bury you, and then they would just hurl these big things at you until you died. They stoned him one time. He passed out. They thought he was dead. They drug him outside the city. A little bit later he revived, went back in, started doing the same thing. Talk about perseverance. This, this was Paul. And part of this journey for him is he wrote many letters to the churches that he had planted, encouraging them and teaching them and sometimes even having to correct them because we all know that church folk need correcting sometimes, don't we? I know I do. I'm not talking about y'all. I'm talking about me. Y'all can raise your hands for yourself. But sometimes we need correcting, and Paul did that. And he wrote, he wrote these letters, and he's writing this letter we're going to talk about today to a young pastor um, by the name of Timothy. And he writes this letter to Timothy, and as he writes it, he's in prison for preaching Jesus. He's in jail. He's at the end of his life. He has done all the stuff. He has raced the race. He's at the very end of his life, and he begins to write this, this letter. Now, get, now he, he's wrongly accused in prison. He's alone in prison, and there's absolutely nobody to stand up for him. Nobody. Out of all these people he's helped, out of all these churches that he's planted, out of all the people that he kind of talked about Jesus to, there's nobody to stand up for him where he's at. And in this letter, he's encouraging Timothy, and we see four things that he did in his season of loneliness. And I want you to take note of these because these are the real cures, okay? In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, he says this. He says, Timothy, when you come to me, he said, when you come, I want you to bring my cloak. Say cloak. This is not Harry Potter now. It means coat. Okay, that that was a joke. We're going to keep going here. Bring my cloak, bring my scrolls, say scrolls, and especially the parchments, say parchments. He said, bring my coat, bring my, my books, and bring my papers. 
He didn't plan to sit and sulk. He didn't plan to just sit there and be in misery during his season of loneliness. He said, bring my stuff because I'm going to, this is the first thing, I'm going to utilize my time. I'm going to utilize my time. We have got to resist the temptation to do nothing whenever we're hurting. We've we got to resist that. Maybe you're at the place that you don't want to be in life, but do something where you are. Utilize your time. He said, if I'm going to be in this jail, then I'm going I'm to be comfortable and I'm going to be productive. You know what he could have said? Because he was a pretty famous guy for everything that he did. He could have said, I've given my, the greater part of my life to this, to Jesus, to, to this whole thing, and this is how I'm repaid sitting in here at the end of my life in jail. Man, I could have, I could have retired. I could have lived the good life because his life before uh, meeting Jesus, he, he was pretty wealthy, pretty well-known, but he gave it all up. And he said, this is how I'm repaid. He, he could have said that, but that's not what he said. And he didn't pretend to be happy about it, make no bones about that, but he did say, I'm going to make the best of it. So you know what? Bring my coat when you come to me. I'm going to be warm and I'm going to be dry. I'm going to take care of myself. He said, bring my books because I'm not, I'm not going to stop growing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a learner. And if I'm going to be in this season of loneliness and I want to get to the other side of it and I want to have utilized my time to where I've, I've grown, then he said this, especially don't forget my parchments. Especially don't forget my paper because I'm going to write letters to my friends if I can't see them. This is before Twitter. This is before email. This is before... He said, I'm going to write letters. Aren't you glad he wrote some letters? <laughs> because these are the letters, many of them, that we have in the New Testament of what we call the Bible. And we read them today, and we're, we're, we're encouraged by them, and we read them, and it's God's word to us. Aren't you glad that in his season of loneliness, he said, I'm going to utilize my time, and I'm going to write letters. And now we're benefited today. Which raises the question, who is going to benefit from what you do in your season of loneliness that you have influence in? What, what, who, who's going to benefit? What, what are you doing right now in your season of loneliness so that by the time it's all over with, somebody can look at you, something you did, they can look at your life and be blessed by it? Because guess what? You're not going through this season of loneliness just for you. You're not going it because you're being punished for some reason. If you're in a season of loneliness right now, you're in it because God wants to draw you near to him, and he wants to grow you in relationship with him to a place that when it's all said and done, somebody else in your sphere of influence is going to be blessed by it. You're not here just for you. You're here for your kids. You're here for your grandkids, for nieces. You're here for your friends. You're here for people that you don't even know yet that God wants to bring to him because of what you do right now. We have to utilize our time. He went on to say in verse 16, everybody has deserted me. This was tough. He said, but may it not be held against them. He said, everybody who I thought would have been here has left me. But don't hold it against them. I'm not going to focus solely on my hurt. I'm going to leave room in my heart for forgiveness. And that's the second thing he did to ensure that in his season of loneliness, he was being filled up. He says, I'm going to minimize my hurt. I'm going to minimize my hurt. He didn't replay the hurt over and over again in his mind. You know, we, we do that sometimes. You know, if God really cared, he would fix this. And we, we replay the hurt, replay the hurt. If anybody cared, they would fix this. If that person or that thing or that whatever would just have changed or not done that, then my life would be different right now. And we get so wrapped up in this. You know, you have three thoughts that can come across your mind. You, you, have, you have a thought that is useful. That's actually a thought that moves you forward. You have a thought that is useless. 
which is kind of like either way, it really doesn't matter. It's kind of like iceberg lettuce. Don't fool yourself. It's not healthy. It's just kind of in the middle. And then you have thoughts that are worse than useless. And these thoughts are the ones that actually drag you backwards when you think about them. And you know what I'm talking about, because when they come into your mind, your heart starts beating real fast, you know? Or you start to have anger whenever those feelings, those thoughts start to come in your mind. And you can go ahead and tell yourself right then, that's a worse than useless thought, and it is actually dragging me backwards. Paul didn't do that. He said, I'm going to minimize my hurt for the purpose of forgiveness. He said, there's people that left me, but I'm not going to hold it against them. I forgive. And I'm sure he didn't feel it. I'm sure it wasn't emotional. I'm sure it wasn't just this emotional, like I, I feel it right now. But he knew it was right. And so he minimized his hurt in order to do what he knew would fill him up in the long run. He minimized his hurt. Let me ask you this question. And this might prick your heart a little bit, but I just want to be real with you. Who do you need to forgive? Who? Who is it? And right now, you, you can think of what it is. You can think about the hurt. You can think about somebody. Maybe you thought you got over it, but given the right set of circumstances, buddy, that pain comes right back in your heart and mind like you just experienced it yesterday. That's a, that, that, that should be a trigger right there. I need to forgive somebody. But before that, let me ask you a real question. What hurt have you not dealt with so that you can actually minimize it? If you haven't dealt with a hurt in your life, then you can't minimize it, not without just sweeping it under the rug. And we do that. If you cannot minimize your hurt to the point of forgiveness until you have actually dealt with the hurt in the first place. But so many times we go to these empty cures, man, because we don't want to hurt. We're wired to pull away from hurt and pain. We do it naturally. What happens if I touch a hot burner on the stove? I pull my hand right back. Why? Because I'm wired to not want pain in my life. And it's the same thing emotionally. When we go through pain or when we think about what happened, we, we don't want to deal with it. We just want to sweep it under the rug, have another relationship, go buy another thing. We want to dive into our work. We want to, just, we want to do whatever it takes to not feel that pain. But let me tell you something. If you, if you don't deal with the hurt that you have in your life, then you're not going to be able to minimize it in a healthy way, and you certainly aren't going to be able to extend forgiveness. You can trick yourself, you can fool yourself, you can say it all, all you want, but given the right set of circumstances, that hurt will always come back up and it'll always sting you and it will always make you do things you wish you'd never done. Every time. How do we get through and deal with hurt? Let me tell you, this isn't easy, but you gotta spend enough time with it without any other distract, without any other purchase, without any other thing, trying to feel the pain and make yourself get to a place where you feel the hurt and you invite God in the mix. Now, you can feel the hurt. You can sit there and make yourself feel it and not invite God in. That's called torture, okay? And it's funny, but it's real. You have got to spend enough time sitting and alone without any other distractions and feel that hurt and invite God in. And sometimes that's ugly. It's painful. It is disgustingly ugly. You, when you invite God into your, into your life, you think it's always about raising your hands and it being real pretty in this holy moment. You know what? When you're trying to get through hurt, it's not. You're in the worst pain of your life. And if you feel hurt, if you're in that season of loneliness because of somebody that hurt you, and you know what I'm talking about. But here's the fact. God desires to be in that ugly hurt. He can handle it. And so what you do is you spend enough time facing it without trying to distract yourself with other things, and you make yourself feel the hurt, and you invite God in. And it's okay to say, I don't know how to do this, but I just know I don't want to do it alone. God, be here with me and help me. Show me the next step. I'm hurting. 
Spend enough time with it. I'm not going to camp out there, but I, you, you, gotta, you can't minimize your hurt if you haven't dealt with it. And God wants you to forgive because that's exactly what he did, and that's what Paul did. And he was able to minimize his hurt. You may still be lonely as you do this, but God promises that he'll be there right where they're with you all along the way. Thirdly, Paul did this. This is a, a real cure. He said, I recognized my Lord. I must recognize my Lord. He's there. Listen to what he says in the first part of verse 17. He said, but the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength. He's saying that I, I recognize that God was right there with me in the middle of my hurt. When you're lonely, where's God? He's right there. He's where he's always been. Sometimes we don't see him because we're looking at other things, but he's right there beside you. The Bible is so clear that when we establish a relationship with Jesus, he puts his Holy Spirit inside of us and he's right there with us. He told his disciples, I'll never leave you. And he told us, he said, I'll, I'll be with you always until the end of time. Paul recognized that. He knew he was right there with him. The question that we, we have today when we're in our season of loneliness is, do we recognize that God is right there with us in this season? Do we? Do we choose to believe that he's right there when it hurts the most? Because we're not going to feel it. It's not a feeling you have. It's not a churchy feeling. You have to get right there on the hurt and say, God, I know that you're here with me despite what I feel. He recognized his Lord. And maybe you want to decide today, you know what? I want, I'm going to make the, the season of loneliness a time to become better acquainted with God. I want to recognize him. So how, how do we do that? There's several ways. I'll list three real quick. Include the Bible. Include the Bible. Read it. He's got things he wants to say to you. Maybe that he's not going to say any other way. Read his word. Listen to encouraging music. There's a ton of it out there, and it will get into your soul, and it will change your thoughts and your perspective. The opposite is true, by the way. If you listen to music that's going to take you the other direction, music moves your soul. What you feed yourself is what ends up coming out of you. Thirdly, pray. Talk. Spill it out before God. He doesn't, it's not always this, oh, God, I just um, have to get to where I feel good about myself to come to you, oh, holy Father. God, I'm hurting today. God, I feel good today. I just want to talk for a second and thank you for the things that you've done. I want to look at all these things around me and say thanks. Talk to him. Be real. He's, he's available 24-7. Tell him exactly how you're feeling. He can handle it. Not to mention he made you and he knows you already. So we've got to utilize our time. We have to minimize our hurt. We have to recognize our Lord. Finally, Paul did this. He emphasized his opportunities. And that's what we've got to do, emphasize my opportunities. And I want you to think about and focus on the opportunities that God gives you during loneliness because they're there. What are they? To do what? Do you know who the loneliest person in the world is? It's the person that's wrapped up in their self. Why? Because we were made to give ourselves away. That's the way God did it, and that's the way we're made, in his image. We have within us the spiritual DNA, the potential to be great givers, and we're wired to give ourselves away. So when you wrap up inside yourself and don't give yourself away because you're lonely and you're hurting and you just think someone else needs to come serve me and I'm just going to build a wall up around myself, you're actually proving uh, to yourself, and actually, it'll actually show up in your, in your life, the loneliness that you're so afraid of. You're made to give yourself away, to give to others, to help others. So don't say, I don't have any friends. Say, how can I be a friend? 
Just figure out what the needs are around you. Figure out what you can do. Because here's the truth. Chronic loneliness is often a matter of being afraid to love, afraid to give yourself away, afraid to be vulnerable, afraid to open up, afraid to, to open up to a relationship, to risk it. And when we don't give love away in the process, we set ourselves up for loneliness. Paul gave himself away. Despite rejection, despite loneliness, he knew that God was with him. And then he said this in verse 17. He says, the Lord stood by me. He said, so that through me, say through me. That's two of you. Through me. Well, that was about four. Come on now. Through me. Why? Because he wants to do it through you. Through me. The message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Gentile is a funny word. It just means not a Jew. So if you don't have Jewish blood in you, then you're a Gentile or came from descendants of the Gentiles. And Paul said that despite my loneliness, despite my pain, God's with me and through me, I'm going to proclaim this message to the Gentiles, the good news of Jesus Christ, which is why you're able to sit here today and know about it. The first century was because of that. The second century church, third, all the way down to us today. Why? Because in Paul's season of loneliness, he said, I'm going to emphasize my opportunities. And God wants to do the same through, through you. When we don't, we build walls around us. When we do, we build bridges to our healing. Each time you say, I'm going to utilize my time that God has given me for good, you're building a bridge to your healing. Each time you say, I'm going to minimize my hurt and focus on forgiveness. Now, I'm not talking about ignoring your hurt or pretending it's not there, but when we recognize it, when we acknowledge it, and we still aim ourselves at forgiveness, you're tearing down the walls and helping reinforce the bridge to your healing. Healing, life. I'm telling you right now, it's out there. When we emphasize the opportunities that we have, we're helping other people and we're, we're, we're bridging the gap between our self-centeredness and the place that God wants us to be, we're knocking down walls and we're bridging the gap between where you are and where God has for you. When we recognize God, not all the answers, not all the solutions, not the fact that we know what's coming next, but when we simply recognize that God is with us as, as our answer, in faith, sometimes it takes faith. We're building a bridge to our healing. When you do these things, you're not just getting out of a season of loneliness. You're drawing near to the God that made you and loves you so much and desires you and desires the healing that he already has for you. It's not if he's going to give it and what's it going to... He already has it, but he wants to take you through something so that when you get to the other side of it, he presents it to you and you'll find out he's been healing you all along the way. There's a story of a guy that I know who went through a, a really painful divorce. And he, he tells the story, and he said it was the worst two years of my entire life. And he says it was painful. It was, he remembers many weeks laying on his face in his living room just in pain. He said he felt like he was holding the weight of the world, couldn't move, heaviness, pain, rejection, loneliness. But he said he didn't stay there. He said, I didn't want to stay there. I knew there was something more. Even though I couldn't see it or feel it, I knew God was with me. So in his grief, he decided that he didn't want to go after the things that his body was screaming after him to go for, the, the, to fill the huge void, because we all do it. doesn't matter what the pain is. He, he was no different, and he said he wanted to humanly go after these things, but he didn't, and it was exhausting. Two years. 
ups, downs, moments of joy, moments of painful tears, and then back again, and it seemed like a big cycle. And he tells this story, and he says, at, at, almost at year two, he was in his living room, and he was just, he had gone through a lot of the pain, but he had gone through a lot of healing. It wasn't something that he knew. It was just one day, he just, after the other, he would just find himself all of a sudden realizing that God had been healing him all along. And he was on his knees, and he was thanking God, and he was thanking him for all the things that he had done, all the things that he had brought him through. He wasn't the same man. He was thinking about the blessings of the past couple years, the removed pain, and the closeness to God that he had, and it just bubbled up inside him, and he said, I am so fulfilled. He actually said that out loud. I'm so fulfilled. And he said, as soon as he said it, God spoke in his heart, and God said, look at where you're, look at, where you're at. He said, two years ago, you were in this exact same spot on your floor in your living room, emptied out, lonely, heavy, and in pain. And he realized he was in the exact same spot now two years later, and he was saying, I'm so fulfilled. Exact same spot. What a difference a season can make when you invite God into the mix. And you say, I'm not going to live just for this loneliness. I'm going to live for you, Lord. It's not quick. It's not always easy. It takes fighting urges to go after quick fixes. But if you hold on to God, if you let him lead you in this season of loneliness, then he will come through for you. He will. It's just a matter of getting there. Can we bow our heads and pray together? Maybe you're in this room today and you're in a season of seeking and you're, you've never really given God your life, but maybe you've seen something today. You've heard something today done from this stage or anywhere in this building as you've come in and you just feel this nudging in your heart and I don't want you to ignore that because that's not me, that's not emotions, that's not the breakfast you had earlier. You're, you're sitting right here for a reason today. And it's because God wants to tell you to respond to that feeling you have deep down inside. It's him calling you, the God who made you, the God who knew you. The Bible says he knew you before you were born, and he predestined you to be sitting right here, right now, to receive him today and answer the call that he's, he's knocking at your heart. You can feel it. And if you would just be as bold not to deny that, you can pray this prayer and agree with what I'm getting ready to pray. Because God doesn't really so much care about your words. He cares about your heart. And it makes a sound, and he can hear it. And I wonder if you'd be bold enough to answer that nudging, answer that, that call down deep in your heart that you know it's, it's nothing else but him and agree with this prayer. God, I need you. <laughs> I need you. I've made a mess of my life, and I'm not proud of it, but I believe that Jesus really came to this earth to save me from my sins. I, I couldn't do it myself. I still can't. If I could have, I would have already done it, but I can't, and I, I need you, God. I believe you really died for me, a sinless death. You, you were perfect, and that was the only way I could, I, that, the only thing that could be a sacrifice for me. I believe you really died. I believe you, you really rose from the grave to give me, give me life. And I believe in you. I have faith in that. And I just, I want to live for you. Not, not be perfect, because I can never be perfect but I want to wake up every day and aim my heart at you and say, God, use me for your glory. Help me because I don't know if I can do it myself. I can't. I, I need you every day. Lord, I, I thank you for everybody who's in this room that's going in, in, in and through a season of loneliness right now. 
You see every person. You, you, you see every tear they've cried. You've kept record. You know every second, Lord. You, you've kept track of the, the down to the second of, of time that they've been going through this season. I just pray right now, God, that you'd show them that they're not alone, that you're there with them, that there, there's the church, there's people, there's, there's so many people that care that are right around them in their, in their circle. They may not see them, they may not feel it, God, but right now, Holy Spirit, I, I just pray that you just show them. They're not alone. There's people that care, and they can get through this because you know exactly what they're going through, and not only that, but you know the outcome. I pray you'd give them the boldness not to go after these empty cures, not to go after the things that satisfy them momentarily, but you know and they know too if they've done it long enough that it always leaves them empty. But let them be bold and walk in faith knowing that you have the end in mind and that you're going to take their hand and walk them, walk them right through. In Jesus' name, I thank you for that. Can we say amen together?